Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We have uh, somewhat of a listener-generated episode today. I've had the question asked to me, is the Bible Project woke? Now, um, for those who don't know, the Bible Project is a, it's an animated series. It's, it's like a digital animation coupled with a narration that explains different aspects of the Bible, teachings, themes, chapters, books, uh, t- testaments, you know. Um, and, and I ha- have not been intimately familiar with it. I uh, used to go to a, a college career group years ago on a campus uh, that would use some of their stuff. And I, I never saw anything that jumped out at me as bad. Um, it wasn't bad. Some of, it, some of it actually probably was pretty good, but um, just it wasn't my thing. I, I've never used any of their material, and it's been years since I've watched any of their stuff. But uh, it, it is popular. It's very popular. And, uh, someone, um, asked me this question and then I, I had two people, uh, unrelated send me, I think one was sent to me and one I saw, but one was, um, one of the Bible project leaders talking about a liberation theologian. And the other one was, uh, a, a Psalm that the Bible project went over and well, I'll, I'll play it for you so you can hear it. But, I, I don't mean to ruin everything. I just got to say this because um, I think some people think, <laughs> John, the only thing we'll have is like, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have like John MacArthur sermons and then we can, you know, maybe uh, listen to or watch some old school, you know, R.C. Sproul lectures. And and I don't want you to feel that way. There's there's other stuff. Um, I'll think, I'll, I'll figure out what the other stuff is soon. You know, I'll think, <laughs> but you know, it is sad. I don't know what else to say. Like, it, it seems like one thing after the next is like, oh man, you know, Veggie Tales. Oh, okay. You know, and then it's like, oh, Bible Project. Oh man, really? Like, I get it. Um, but hey, it's better to know the truth and, and know kind of where where they're coming from. Even if you're going to use the Bible Project, you, you should know where those behind it are coming from. And I think after you know that, you're not going to want to use it anyway. But, um, but yeah, hopefully this is helpful, even though it may be it's hard and I get it. And I just want to relate to you. And so you understand, I understand it too. It it is difficult when things that could be so good and you want to be so good can sometimes not be the best. So hopefully that motivates some people out there to do their own similar animated series or something. I mean, we, we need people who are solid and orthodox to do this kind of stuff. So, um, let's, let's, uh, let, let's go through this. I'm going to blow this up so you can see it. This uh, first clip I'm about to show you is from uh, Psalm chapter 8. It's from the Bible Project, and just listen. Then after Psalm 8 comes Psalms 9 to 14. David is joined by a group of people called the poor and afflicted ones. Like David, they're oppressed by powerful rulers, and they too cry out to God, asking him to confront these world empires and vindicate his people. Both David and the afflicted ones are really powerless and weak. And yet, they are the ones that God has chosen to rule the world. And this is what Psalm 8 in the center is all about. It begins by saying, Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the land. You have set your splendor above the skies. So Yahweh is the king of creation and you can see his royal power on display everywhere. Now that first line is repeated again at the end of Psalm 8. Right, that's called an inclusio. It's a signal to the reader of what the poem is all about, God's majestic power that fills all of creation. But David and the afflicted ones aren't experiencing God's power at the moment. Right. This is what the rest of the poem is all about. There are two parallel sections, and in the first we're introduced to a weak little creature, a bunch of babbling babies. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, 
You have established a stronghold because of your adversaries to stop the enemy and the avenger. Now, the Hebrew word for stronghold is oz, which can mean strength or also a strong place, like a fortress or a refuge. God's going to build a fortress out of baby babble to stop violent enemies? Yeah, it's like a riddle that is going to be unpacked by the next matching part of the poem. When I consider your skies, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is human that you remember him and the son of humanity that you attend to him? So the poet's here reflecting on the creation narrative of Genesis chapter 1, where there's this contrast. God installs the heavenly lights above and all their splendor, and then below he forms the humans out of dirt. Yeah, I get this, looking up at the night sky, feeling so small and insignificant. Why are humans so important to God? And so the poet continues. You made humanity a little lesser than spiritual beings, yet... You crown them with glory and majesty. In Genesis, God elevates the weak little dirt creatures for this majestic task, to be his image who will rule over all creation. The poet can hardly believe it. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. You put everything under their feet. So both parts of this poem are about how God loves to elevate the powerless so he can rule the world through them. Whether babbling babies or lowly humans, God loves to choose the weak. Yes, just like David and like the poor and afflicted ones. And altogether, they set the pattern for that ultimate human, the Messiah of Psalms 1 and 2. And he will rule over all the land. Now, these ideas in Psalm 8 lead us forward to the story of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a king to confront Israel's powerful leaders. But... He's on a donkey, not a war horse. And the people hailing him as their king are the poor and children. So Israel's leaders mock Jesus and then have him executed. But then God raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him as the cosmic king, the true image of God. Then Jesus invited his followers to share in his power and mission, but it's a different kind of power. Yeah, it's like how Jesus said that to be his follower, is to become like a child. Yes, when God's people serve others from a place of humility and powerlessness, that's when God's kingdom and power are most on display. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the land. Okay, so my first thought after watching this is way to put the focus of Psalm 8 back on man. Because if you read Psalm 8, it's not, the focus isn't on man. The focus is on God. Let me read it for you. They read it, I know, but let, let me just, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength, which maybe there are translations that say power. I don't know, but um, the, the amount of times they use the word power, it almost sounds like Tim Keller or, or Foucault. <laughs> they're 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 really obsessed with that, but but that you don't find that in the text at least. You're not it, it, the concern doesn't seem to be power. It seems to be the focus is all on God. That God is the one um, who he has splendor in the heavens. Uh, so so big picture down to something small, something more seemingly insignificant, an infant or a nursing babe. He's established strength there too. That's the point, not just. 
it's not just big picture or little picture. God, everything is God's. God, God is showing himself and his attributes through all creation. That's the point of Psalm 8. Um, because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. He'll conquer his enemies, right? Um, he'll display his strength even through that. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? So the psalmist is, and have you ever done this? Like the psalmist, you look at the stars and you think, man, we're small. Wow, why does God even take notice of us? It should put you, it should make you awe-filled, right? Make you want to worship. Um, but they're, they're making it out like in the Bible project, like, oh, this is like the communication here is somehow that like we should be lowly and not be powerful. Pa- power is a bad thing. You shouldn't have power so that then you can somehow make God much more of God. Well, th- there's nothing in here, but it's just, it's talking about mankind in general. It's not talking about those, like a certain class of people who have humbled themselves. It's talking about everyone. It's talking about mankind in general. Um, why, why is man as a class, as a category, significant? And it says, um, you have crowned him with glory and majesty. Uh, you make him to rule over the works of your hands. That's man's job from Genesis, right? You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all, be- all the beasts of the field, the birds, the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's, it, it, it starts and it ends with, giving them the glory to God. How majestic is your name in all the earth? This is something God's accomplishing. And somehow the Bible project managed to take this psalm and make it all about whether, you know, ma- whether or not man should be, I guess, humbling themselves or not and how and how power is a bad thing and, you know, it's like it's it's God's glory is most on display when it's people that have given up their power and are just very humble and lowly. Um Maybe, but you're not getting that from this text. <laughs> like, this is just God's God's gonna get glory no matter what. Um, he's gonna get it through the, the, everything He's made. The creation is His. That's the point of Psalm eight. So yeah, there there's kind of a man centered element in that, but it definitely sounds, I will say, kind of liberation theology. Um, you even hear it when He talks about becoming like a child. The whole point, like Luke eighteen seventeen says, um. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a, a child will not enter it at all. And uh, if you, you know, read, there's a various texts in, in a few of the Gospels. Mark has it, Matthew has it, that talk about coming to Christ kind of it, with the faith of a little one. That's the point, is it, it's the faith that children have, the trusting. Um, it's not because, well, they're just more holy or special or something because they're kids. Um it's, it's, you know, they're, they're glorifying God more. And that's what Psalm 8's trying to communicate too. No, um, it's, it's talking about the faith that a child has. It's a childlike faith. And, and that's, um, <laughs> it, it's not like, I don't know. It's just, they're, they're, they're bringing categories into these passages that just don't belong there. And they're doing it in a way that would be consistent with liberation theology. Um, with, you know, the idea that Christ came, to kind of to be, to be an example to show kind of the world what it looks like to be powerless and to to suffer to identify with everyone else by suffering uh, from the the oppressive system just like the poor are are oppressed and suffer that way. I mean, you you can almost sort of get that hint from the video that we just watched. That's what liberation theology teaches. So um, it wasn't surprising when I saw this. Um, 
I'm going to show you a video now of uh, the kind of the mastermind behind the Bible project. This is Tim Mackey, and this is what he says about Gustavo Gutierrez, who is a liberation theologian. If I honor the Bible as some as a source of divine wisdom, I have to reckon with the fact that this extraordinary emphasis on the poor living conditions of people in poverty were people of the vulnerable. People were vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that their problems need to become the problems of those with influence and resources and voice. Yeah. And that that's the definition of a just community. Yeah. That just, that just is the case. And we we got a lot more to go here, a few minutes, but, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking as I listen to this, that's the definition of a just community. It's it, it, the, the just community should have nothing to do with whether someone's poor or rich. It's giving someone their due. Um, it's faithfully applying the law equally, whether someone is rich or poor, privileged, unprivileged, whatever. So if it's, it, he's defining the just community as, as a community where the rich are somehow tuned into the voice of the poor and, I mean, it, that's, I mean, it, he has to say more than that. If he wants justice, he, he needs more than that, biblically speaking, at least. And I can choose to say, I hear that that's what the Bible's saying. I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah. I think there's a different way. So that's, that's fine. But I think at least what we're not doing anybody any favors is by saying, well, that's not actually what the Bible's saying. Hmm. You're, you're saying <laughs> that the Bible is saying yeah. that justice is actually identifying the people who mm -hmm. are marginalized mm -hmm. and vulnerable mm -hmm. and making sure that there are systems in place yeah. that give them a leg up. Yep. Like that's yeah. the biblical... That's not justice, guys. That's not justice. Justice isn't adjusting systems to benefit those who are marginalized or oppressed. Um, I mean, ultimately, if that's the case, right, eventually you'll just have a, hopefully a system that there's no margin, there's no oppression. There, I mean, that's what communists want, ultimately, the utopia where there's no, there's no oppression uh, whatsoever. And we know that's impossible. But uh, the idea, though, that you are creating systems or changing systems or setting systems up to help on a broad scale, uh, the people who are um, uh, marginalized, etc., that's actually justice would be treating everyone equally. Um, if we're talking about civil justice, which is what they're talking about here, that's what that would be. Now it could be charity. It could be um, there. There could be it could be justice in another sense, in the in the sense of righteousness to uh, to help someone in a charitable way. But that but that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about systems. They're talking about creating. Uh, when when you hear system, think about like. Um, uh, you know, you have, you know, everyone, uh, every man for himself, right? You know, kind of as like the blank slate, uh, everything stripped down as every man for himself, and there's no mediating institution of any kind. So you 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 put a system in there that will make sure that the poor and marginalized, etc., have a leg up, that their things are compensated for for them, and ultimately things should be uh, th there should be systems in place that punish evil and crime, sin. Uh, the, the things that God identifies as public sins that need to be punished, but not um, 
not not as an end in and of itself just because someone's marginalized i mean look prisoners you could say they're marginalized right should we just well just let them out of prison right that would be a way no like that's not that principle doesn't work there right so um anyway that's this is liberation theology there's no doubt in my mind that's what this is yeah view of justice yeah I, i mean if if we want to say we're trying to be faithful to the bible um, and it's wisdom about justice. I I don't know. I it just don't know. becomes very clear. Yeah, it's just you just read it. Well, it, it can be easily misunderstood. Here's a good example. In the 1960s and 70s, there was a really influential theologian from Peru. He's Peruvian. He's a Catholic priest, hmm. and he his name was Gustavo Gutierrez, and he just started writing like a madman because uh, he grew up in poor you know slum in Peru hmm. and. But he was able to find his way forward through education and then a ministry in the Catholic Church. And so he just started writing. His most famous book was called The Theology of Liberation. And he, he ended up sparking a, a movement, a theological movement oh, yeah. of authors and Liberation writers. Theology. Liberation theology. And he, it was encapsulated by this phrase um, that he coined called, if you look at the God of the Bible, who reveals himself as the God of the Exodus, and mm-hmm. he calls it that God has a preferential option for the poor. Which doesn't mean that you disregard fairness in favor of the poor. He's often misunderstood on that point. Hmm. His point is simply this, that if you look at all of the hundreds of occurrences of Mishpat in the Bible, there is all, nine out of ten of them are uniquely focused and aware of the difficult situations of the vulnerable. And if they are left behind... In my vision of the future of my community, I cannot claim to be a just community. Okay, mishpat, word for justice. Why or just? Why, why is that used in uh, so often? In, and it's not, by the way, it's not always used to uh, designate preference for the poor, right? It, it's actually, there, there are situations where it's actually used to say, you shall not show partiality to the poor. Um, but uh, but why so often is it is it coupled with, uh, showing favor to the poor, uh, making sure the poor are taken care of, etc. They're, they're they're getting justice. The reason for that is because oftentimes the poor and those who um, are sometimes this is the foreigner, the the sojourner as well. The the reason that they are often singled out as you need to be just to them is because um, they are at a disadvantage often. They don't have. Uh, the social, you think of the widow, right, or the orphan as well being coupled in that. They don't have, um, like a widow doesn't have a husband. Uh, an orphan doesn't have parents to look out for them. So it's easy for people to take advantage of them, to break the law, take advantage of them, but they don't have much of a recourse because um, they, you know, they, they don't have a husband or they don't have parents or uh, they're low on the totem pole and not respected by other people in society. They're not believable, perhaps. They're as much. They're you know that kind of thing. That's the reason is because they're easily taken advantage of. That's the reason you should be take extra special attention to be just to them. Um, and it's one of the the things I, I think actually in our country. It's funny how this gets so often uh, twisted. Side note. Um, that you know the, the Republican Party or conservatives in general, they're the problem. They're the ones that don't show justice to the poor or something. When in reality, I think it's the other way around, actually. It's uh, the Democrat Party. It's progressive policies that specifically actually keep the poor poor uh, and incentivize other people to become poor uh, and to become uh, you know living off the system and 
um, and, and just, you know, robs them of their self-dignity and all, all kinds of things. Um, it's, it's actually not a just thing. That's not a right thing. It's, it's, it's taking from one person who's productive, giving it to someone who's unproductive, and, and both of them, uh, actually, n- neither of them benefit from that. Um, but the person who's poor actually, I think, benefits uh, even, le- has less of a benefit. They're, 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 uh, it, it makes it the situation even worse for them. Um, ultimately speaking, it's not a just thing. Uh, justice would be when someone robs from the poor and you're going to punish that villain, even though it doesn't do anything for you, right? If, it, if you're a, a, a judge and a rich man is robbed and you help that rich man out, there's, there's actually a benefit probably in the community for you that, hey, you know, this, this could be covered in the paper. Maybe they were a celebrity. They're going to, maybe they'll, they'll look favorably upon you and help you get elected next time. And I mean, there's all sorts of benefits with that. Someone who's poor that can't pay you, that can't, um, there, there's no benefit to you for helping them. That's why you have to pay special attention to helping the poor. It's not because the poor are special in some way because, just because they're poor. They have some kind of a moral superiority because they're poor. Uh, God cares about them more just because they're poor. No. He doesn't care about them more just because of that status. The, the, the reality is they, they require more care in some ways because of their vulnerable status. And there's a huge difference there, and I hope, I hope people see that. Hmm. I just, just, that just is the case. Hmm. Um, and it's through from the Torah to the prophets, and as we'll talk about right on into the New Testament as well. It's just So how that translates into specific policies and legislation— yeah, you said programs. it could go too far. What were you about to well, say? I mean, I, well, this is what people debate about. Um, so I, I think there is lots of room for debate. You just have to be an expert, I think, on the policy of whatever matter it is at hand, mm-hmm. education or health care. You have to be an expert. <laughs> it's like so this whole thing is geared. Despite, did it ever occur to you that liberation theologians or people that are into that, Tim Keller's one of those guys, they're the, like— they're, you know, oh, we're just about the oppressed. We're just about the little guy, right? Well, what would you do? Oh, you have to be an expert. It's like, <laughs> it's just right into elitism somehow. Like, I mean, I don't know. I think you can actually read the Bible, understand it, understand principles of justice. Um, it's good to study. It's good to be aware. You don't have to be an expert to understand those things, though. Um, so. I think at least we should be clear. If I'm claiming to be a religious person who bases my view of the world on the Bible— my vision of the just society has to be informed by this. So this is what I'm hoping the, the contribution the video can make, mm-hmm. is to at least say this is what the Bible means front to back about yeah. justice. And and my hunch is that on like a healthcare debate, I mean, I don't, I actually don't understand the details. Mm-hmm. I try to, but it's mm-hmm. really complicated. Mm-hmm. But my hunch is there are probably religious people on both sides of that debate. Mm-hmm who have read their Bibles, and they really believe what they're doing is, is faithful, even though they come to different points of view. And I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Hmm. But it's an exercise everybody has to go through, I think, if you find yourself called into these kinds of roles. So what good is it? I mean, he doesn't have any answers. What good is it to, uh, to, to, to buy into liberation theology and stuff. I mean, it, it's like, um, 
I mean, I know most people that would are going to be for some kind of a free healthcare, some kind of a socialized medicine, right? If they're into liberation the- theology and stuff. Tim Mackey is saying he doesn't know. But it's like, if that's the case, if this is so important, then then you should know, right? You should probably at least have a rudimentary basic understanding of, of kind of the principles at play in this. Um, it's just, it's sad to me. But th- these are the guys who, uh, Tim Mackey, I guess, is one of the guys behind the Bible Project. I think he's the main narrator. Um Here's I want to show you uh, Gustavo Gutierrez because he um, put him up as someone who's to be emulated and stuff. This is from um, I'm writing another book I'm supposed to be, and this is from chapter two of that book uh, where I talk about liberation theology and I do a little profile on Gustavo Gutierrez. So I'm going to read it for you. Perhaps the most famous liberation theologian was Gustavo Gutierrez, a Dominican priest who learned about Marxism while studying at the Faculty of Theology in Lyons, France. In his popular 1971 book, A Theology of Liberation, Gutierrez commended Marx's critique of capitalistic society for pointing the way towards an era in history when man can live humanly. Gutierrez believed the biblical command to love neighbor was a call to transform social structures which benefited the few while exploiting certain classes, peoples, and races. Ultimately, Gutierrez wanted a radical change in the foundation of society which challenged the private ownership of the means of production. This would be accomplished in a Christian framework. Jesus' vision was to achieve a different society where God's love dispelled all injustice, privilege, oppression, or narrow nationalism. The gospel included political liberation and solved the problem of social injustice caused by sin. The marginalized and their moral purity set the template for this societal salvation as others, whether Christians or not, were converted through working to liberate the poor and oppressed. Liberation theology distorted the reason for Christ's first coming, modified the mission of the church, denied the universality of sin, destroyed traditional Christian teaching on social order, and added to the gospel. It was a version of Christianity conformed to Marxism, or perhaps liberation theology can best be summarized as a Marxist faith built on a Christian foundation. That's what I've found with Gutierrez and liberation theology. And it's just not Christianity at the end of the day. It's a way to try to market uh, Marxism to Christians. So I I hope that was helpful. And I don't mean to disappoint people, like I said at the beginning. Um, Maybe there's some good stuff from the Bible Project you can use. But I I would be careful with just a blank kind of endorsement of the Bible Project. Because... Obviously, Tim Mackey is, is somehow influenced by liberation theology, and it is going to come out like it came out slightly in Psalm 8. So there you go. There's my answer on the Bible Project. I hope that was helpful. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.